Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 126 called Sarah and Cody. Today's episode was sponsored by 2 Plus Fertility, which was designed to help solve the issue of less than 1% of sperm reaching the egg when you're trying to conceive at home. Comfortable and easy to use, each device, which is as seamless as using a tampon, can be used up to four times a month. It's soft and comfortable, drug-free, and made of 100% medical-grade silicone. 2PLUS believes that every drop counts and encourages users to insert 2PLUS sperm guide before sex in an effort to stop sperm from flowing back out of the vagina post-sex. 2PLUS wants to bring as much sperm to the right place in the vaginal tract and create an experience that can be tried from the comfort of your own home or hotel room. Learn more about this product, which can be discreetly shipped to your doorstep by visiting 2plusfertility.com. It's available in the US, the UK, and Singapore. Don't forget to use our special discount code IAF30 for a 30% discount across all products. Thanks, 2PLUS. Okay, guys, today I am talking to another couple, Sarah and Cody. I love talking to couples because I love getting the different perspectives from the male and the female point of view. And they are an awesome couple. There is so much love between them. I loved talking to them. You might know them from Instagram or on TikTok where they are very often. They have been dating since they were 14 when they were freshmen in high school. And they have been through some shit on their family building journey. So they've done lots of medicated cycles. They're still in the midst of all of this. They've had several losses and they are about to start their second round of IVF. So they're still in the middle of their journey. They're going to tell us what's happened so far and where they're at. And again, I just love talking to them. They're such a great couple and I'm rooting for them so hard. So without further ado, this is Sarah and Cody's infertility story. So, hey guys, how are you doing today? Hi, hey, good. Thanks really for good. having us. Good. I'm so excited to talk to you both. I love talking to couples and I've only done it a handful of times, but it's so cool to get different perspectives of you know what you guys have been going through. So let's start with you guys. When did you become Sarah and Cody? I feel like we've always been Sarah and Cody. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we actually met freshman year of high school. Um, so have been dating since we were 14. So we've been through a lot of life stages together from not having a driver's permit to being able to drive to going to the mall without our parents. <laughs> right. Did you guys meet in like class or in the hallway or something? Or was it what happened? Yes, we both went to a uh, magnet school that kind of pulled kids from the whole county together. We're from we're, I'm from we're both from middle of nowhere, South Carolina, but um, different towns. Mm -hmm. And uh I think I remember seeing you the, for the first time in social studies, maybe, yeah. and in pure 2006 fashion, he had a skater boy head haircut and was wearing a graphic tee that said Stinky Pete's Barbecue on it. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> I wish I could change the memory that I have of you. Yeah. That's the first memory. Oh, I think that sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we started as friends and then... Yep. Started um, dating in 2000. Six. Yep. And okay. that was, that was that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we got married in 2015. So yep. we were together for a good while before we um, ended up getting married. And it's been really fun to kind of, like Cody said, get to experience so many life changes and stages together and kind of come into adulthood together. But yes. it is such a cliche. <laughs> no, my husband and I were high school sweethearts as well. And there's a lot of people I, I end up interviewing that have met their partners pretty young. Yeah. Um, so it's not super rare, but I have to say, I love your Instagram. You guys are like, you love to travel, right? And you've always got these great photos of you guys having all these adventures together. So when did having kids come into the mix? When did you guys start talking about that? I feel like we, like we always knew that we wanted kids. And I guess we also like it kind of felt like we had waited so long to start our life together because we had been together since the dawn of time and got married and <laughs> wanted to settle into our careers. And 
neither really traveled very much growing up. And we developed this love for that and wanted to enjoy our time together. So we did. And we just kind of felt like once we were ready, we would know there was no like specific timeline. Is that kind of what you would say? Yeah. And like, um, you know, we went to Europe in 2019, mm-hmm. I guess two years ago, and we kind of said, we kind of, we feel like it's time, time. and mm-hmm. you know you went off your birth control leading into that trip and of course we had the you know fantasies of oh my gosh it's going to happen while we're in Europe and how magical will that be and you know it never crossed our mind that oh this is going to be a journey I um, bro- brought my prenatals on the plane was so dramatic we just thought you know this would this would be it and it was it was too meant to be to be in Italy and not get pregnant, <laughs> just so many assumptions. So, right. Yeah. I think a lot of us have that where, you know, you think you're going to go off birth control and it's so easy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And what I mean, happened? We had, I feel like we had managed expectations, but nothing, nothing happened. And we got, you know, home from our trip and we were like, well, this could just take a few months. It takes people some time. So that's perfectly normal. And because we had such a laid back nonchalant approach and I didn't want to be the person, which is so annoying retrospectively, but I didn't want to be the person obsessed over this was what was my idea. You know, I didn't want to track cycles too much. And I saw people taking temperatures and OPKs. And I was like, well, that that's just too much. You know, we want our baby, but we still want to live life too and travel mm-hmm. and do things that we enjoy and share that together. And when it's meant to be, it will happen. That was what we said. And then months passed and so do those uh, assumptions. And- yeah. And, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this went through the same thing where the first month, you know, you take the pregnancy test for the first time where you're, you know, it doesn't scare you to death. The fact that you may be pregnant and then mm-hmm. get the negative and it's like, okay, well, statistics say that 90% of women within a year get pregnant, you know, and you know, you're comforted by those statistics. And then mm-hmm. month two, month three, and you start thinking, okay, well, let's, let's start tracking ovulation. Let's mm-hmm. start temping, let, you know, and you just slow, we slowly started going down that rabbit hole and adding things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kinds of things were you adding? Uh, I was up at 630 in the morning, taking my temperature every day. And then we started OPKs. And then I did, you know, all the froofy woo woo stuff, but thinking that would make a difference. Like I bought a fertility tea off Amazon one month and, you know, just trying all the things and wondering why does this seem like it is so hard? Is this as hard as it is for everyone else? And they just don't talk about it. I don't know. And um, like I was never getting positive OPKs and my temperatures were erratic. So nothing was, none of the data was making any sense. And it was just frustrating us further. And you really, anybody that's been, you know, trying to get pregnant for a long time, just in general knows like just how monotonous that that can get and just the rinse repeat of each cycle. And And that's when I'd say it really started taking over like our day-to-day, just everything we were thinking about, because you start, you go from that, it's not going to. I don't want to obsess over it too. It's all you think about, you know, Yeah. were you both having the same level of obsession or was it one more than the other? Mm. I'd I'd say it was both because, you know, going into it, I was just really excited to try to start a family and I did all kinds of research. And, you know, before this, I had no clue like ovulation and all this other stuff. And then I started getting deeper into it, you know, I would wake up in the morning and roll over, what's your temperature? (laughs) And then, you know, it would be, lower than the day before. And then the day, then it would get higher. And like Sarah was saying, none of it really made sense. And I start looking online at all these stories of people and, you know, that usually doesn't help. You start reading the worst case scenario of everything. Or you're just looking for validation and whatever it is that, or to confirm whatever it is that you're the point that you're at or what you're going through or think, because I think I was equally as obsessed just with what was going on in my own body and, it just seemed like nothing was making sense and we were getting confused and annoyed mm-hmm. and we were just like, this just feels like so much pressure. And then there's the pressure to hit your fertile window and the pressure mm-hmm. to wait and the pressure to, well, you don't want to stress yourself out too much because what if that's going to make a difference while you're waiting to test? And it just started to feel like a lot. And then the more that time went on, we were kind of like... I really don't think this is as difficult as this is or should be as difficult as this is for us. Like, what if something is just not right? Right. 
So in the meantime, a couple questions. How old were you guys at this point? So we started, I went off my birth control. That Italy trip was July of 2019. We were both 28 Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And so 28 kind of in the midst of that first year that we were trying by ourselves. And then were you, did you see your friends like having babies, starting to have babies around you guys while you're going through this? Really our close friends were kind of like us where they were just kind of enjoying early married life. Like Mm -hmm. we weren't surrounded by a lot of people that were getting pregnant super mm-hmm. early, but I'd say the toughest thing was just social media, which I'm mm-hmm. sure everybody can relate to where people that, you know, you went to school with, or, you know, that are acquaintances just, you know, popping out babies left and right. And then you read the stories and it's like, Oh, it was unplanned. It was our, you know, our little accident, but we're so happy. And you're, you know, I'm sitting here thinking these people are accidentally getting pregnant. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's maddening. You know, They're like, I'm, Oh my God, we were across the room and I sneezed and yes. I'm knocked up now guys. Like it's know, so like, fucking annoying. Sorry. Right. I'm like, I don't, I'm not computing how this happens for someone. And I think we were probably one of the first of our friend group to start trying. Yeah. So in that first year, like outside people weren't really affecting us because it, it was just kind of us. And we still had the hope of like, well, it's been less than a year. They say, you know, it can take up to a year and maybe just one month we're going to get it right kind of thing. I feel like we were in a different headspace prior to the whole infertility aspect of things. Right. Yeah. Right. So were you guys sharing on social media at this point or no? No. Okay. That kind of came down the road. Yeah. yeah and we were very we're pretty private about it that first year mm-hmm. because our mindset was we're going to get pregnant. We're going to keep it quiet. And then we're going to do this big reveal to our families. And it's going to be like every Instagram, TikTok, YouTube video you see where <laughs> they open a present at Christmas. And it's like, you're going to be grandparents. <laughs> right. And then, you know, we were just so private about it the first year. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we weren't open to anyone about it. Like our parents didn't even know we were really trying until we, the day we found out we had our miscarriage. And that's mm-hmm. when we told them, not only have we been trying for a year, but we lost our first pregnancy. So I think that was when we really started opening up um, to other people. So we started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist in July of 2020. Um, We got to that year mark and we were like, okay, we're not really getting anywhere. The OPKs and the temping, nothing's making sense. We've, you know, been at this for a year and this is starting to just feel very mundane. So maybe it's time to reach out, you know, and see um, if we need some kind of assistance or anything. And all my testing was normal. All of his testing was normal. Um, but they kind of determined, especially in the fact that in a year I never had a positive OPK that I was probably just not ovulating on my own. Despite the fact that I didn't, I wasn't diagnosed with PCOS or anything like that. But so then they gave us the whole in, unexplained infertility diagnosis mm-hmm. and that's, that's, um, again, said, okay, kind of maddening, right? Because you almost want like a diagnosis because then you're like, okay, well, then there's a plan of how to fix it. Right. Or something more specific because it, on the one hand, we were like, okay, you're not ovulating. This sounds like a very simple fix. We just need to get you to ovulate. And so you're like, okay, cool. But then you're also thinking, but why, why is that? Which, oh my God, my whole other soapbox that I've developed going through infertility is just how much I like, didn't know about my own body before going through this, you know, Um, like, and about not cycles beyond Every month you have a period and if you have sex, you'll get pregnant. Like other than that, just the whole ins and outs of a cycle had no idea at all. Um, I had always had like normal ish periods. So I assumed like if you're having a period, you're ovulating and just to get into the nitty gritty of all this um, and, you know, realize just how many things have to go right. right. I was just like, how am I? How am I 30 years old and don't know anything about my own body? That's embarrassing. Oh my God, Sarah, I can relate to that so much. And I feel like this comes up almost every episode where people were just like, I had no idea. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just frustrating. It's, you know, (laughs) it's, it needs to change. And it is, you know, there's a lot of people working to change it, thankfully for the generations that are coming up now. And like my daughter's 11, so hopefully she'll have a better grasp on just fertility and her body in general and guys too, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So 
Cody, what was your experience with like sex ed? Did you kind of have the same, I mean, you guys went to school together, obviously, but as a guy, did you learn kind of the same thing? Like you can get a girl pregnant so easily, be careful. Like, yeah, absolutely. It was like, you know, if you're in the room along with a girl, she's going to get pregnant. Okay? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> then totally. you get into this and it's like, oh yeah, your actual window, you can possibly get someone pregnant is so just small when you think about it in the grand scheme of things throughout a month. Yeah, and, completely. You know, you go from that mindset to, okay, the app tells us we need to have sex today. Right, you know, right. Okay, so you saw an RE, There's, it's unexplained. Mm-hmm. Did you just kind of keep trying and keep adding? Did you add like supplements or acupuncture or anything like that to the mix? Not at that time, but we jumped right in with medicated cycles okay. uh, because our doctor was like, you know, we just need to get you to ovulate. Then you'll have the same chance as anyone else. Right. Um, so what did they put you on? So I was on um, a five-day course of Clomid every cycle. And then we would go in for an ultrasound around a weekish later just to check on, um, you know, if I was growing a follicle. Uh, which I did every cycle and send us home with a trigger shot of a drill to trigger ovulation. And then they tell you have sex 12 hours and 24, no, 12 hours and 36 hours after. And we would do that. And then you wait the two weeks and Mm -hmm. see what happens. And Mm -hmm. so that first medicated cycle, we felt hopeful in that it felt like we had a plan because we had been through this whole year of just confusion and nothing. And now it felt like we were being put in the game that we didn't even realize that we were out of because we didn't know I wasn't ovulating, you know, and such a good way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) We, we were like, if we can, if I can just ovulate, then this will be some kind of success. We had no assumption that this was just going to happen right away. But that first medicated cycle, I got pregnant Mm -hmm. and we were like, yeah, we beat infertility. <laughs> totally. You're like, nailed it. Right. Yeah. Um, and we thought so like shit, it was really just that easy. We really just needed to get my body tabulated, and that was it. And there was so much. There was a few days there. I feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but I was so shocked that it had happened. We hadn't seen a positive pregnancy test in a year, and then um, we kind of let ourselves settle into those feelings and we were so excited. Mm-hmm. That is exciting. Okay. So then how long do you keep that excitement up and what happened next? Yeah. So we, you know, went to Barnes and Noble, bought all kinds of books and, you know, we we're just, you just start daydreaming. And the first few weeks after we got that positive test, everything was textbook. I mean, there was no bleeding, no crazy symptoms or anything. I mean, you didn't really feel nauseated or anything or morning sickness, but you know, it just felt like things were going exactly as they should. And we were Mm -hmm. counting down the days until our um, first ultrasound. And we both had told each other, we're going to wait to tell our parents or anybody else until Mm -hmm. we see the first ultrasound, hear the heartbeat, make sure everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And so you didn't tell anybody, not even like your bestest friends. Oh, we did tell our bestest friends. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's hard not to. I know. Well, we were like, we want to tell someone, but we don't want it to be a family member because we thought, you know, before the fact, if we lose a pregnancy, we want support, but we don't want that pressure of it being a family member who is also, you know, has their own thoughts and feelings about it being like a, a grandchild. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. We wanted it, you know, like everybody does, you want to tell family um, in a special way. And we just didn't want to, we wanted it to be, we wanted to make a big thing for them, of course. And then we just didn't, we thought we didn't want them to know if it ended in a loss. And I felt connected to the pregnancy almost immediately. We were just so excited. I was taking these really corny videos, talking to it in the uh, mirror (laughs) and tell That's so sweet. Um, And we just thought, okay, we'll get to the ultrasound and we'll see the heartbeat and then we'll feel confident and we'll tell our families. And that ultrasound was on a Wednesday and we had come up with this convoluted plan to convince both of our families to come up to our house at different times. Like, I think we told your stepdad we needed help hanging something. And we had told my parents some spun some yarn to get them to come up and not think anything about it. Um, and so we go to our ultrasound on Wednesday 
Yeah. And I, you know, we were waiting in the waiting room and I really, it was, I was sort of nervous, but just so excited because you're thinking I'm going to hear our baby's heartbeat for the Mm -hmm. first time. Like this is such a magical moment. And And it was just that moment of holy shit. Like our life is really about to change. Like this is about to be really, really real. And you work towards this for so long. And then you finally get here and you're pregnant and you're like, oh wait, that means I have, I'm going to have to have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) Uh, So we were really excited. Um, And then our doctor comes in and goes through the whole spiel and starts looking around. Um, And of course, Cody, who is the Googler and the researcher of all the things from travel trips to (laughs) six week ultrasounds, he had already looked at pictures of them before we went into this. And um, he was like, that doesn't look like the pictures that you know, I had seen before because the pregnancy looked really small. Yeah. My first thought was this, you know, it looked, the embryo looked smaller than a lot of the YouTube videos I'd watched. And oh my God, how many videos had you watched? Oh God, 20. (laughs) Um, And the tech and the doctor both, they start looking around and they get quiet. And I just felt like the air had been sucked out of the room. Just a chill went over my body. And, you know, you know, it's just so silent. And you know, you hear those words of, unfortunately, um, you know, there's no heartbeat, things aren't measuring as they should. And, you know, the nurse tells us to, the doctor wants to speak to us in her office. And, you know, that walk to her office was just, you know, you, you just feel like this can't be happening. And I remember sitting across the table from her and I'm thinking, this feels like a scene from some sad movie where the couple's getting told terrible news and you always see it in those shows and movies. And now it's actually you and your life. Oh, um, my eyes just swelled up with tears. Cause that is such a triggering statement for me still that yep. I'm sorry. There's no heartbeat. That is the yes. worst phrase yes. that you can hear. And it just, it, your, your world literally goes from one thing to the next in a split second. Exactly. And like our emotions did a complete 180. Mm-hmm. And then even like that, it's, we call it the walk of shame to her office because you walk mm-hmm. right past the nurse's station and everybody's looking at you and you're thinking they've probably done 10 ultrasounds this morning and we're, we're the one that's doing mm-hmm. this. And also, you know, afterwards we had both talked and I was like, I don't know any other time in your life where you have a moment where you're either going to leave that room on the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. There's no in between, you know, you're either going to hear that heartbeat and it's going to be the moment you think about for the rest of your life, or you're going to leave how we did with the worst news you've ever gotten. It's just such an emotional roller coaster, you know, and you, you just feel so vulnerable. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Ugh. Yeah. What happened when you got to the office? What'd she say? She, you know, kind of gave us some options, said that it was a missed miscarriage. Mm -hmm. At at that point, I was right before seven weeks, I think was that ultrasound. And so she was like, this is, you know, too early to really do a DNC. We can give you some medication to induce the miscarriage, or you can, you know, kind of go home and wait for your body to kind of pick up on things and it happened naturally. And we were both just kind of in a complete fog that I I didn't want to make any sort of decision that day. Mm -hmm. And so the weird thing too was I'm a nurse. I work in the hospital that my clinic is in. And I don't know why I thought I was just going to go to work and then jet out to this appointment and come back. So I had like planned to go to work and um. I think my brain just like wasn't processing the whole thing too, because I was like, okay, well, I have to go back to work now, you know, and I told Cody, you know, I guess I'll see you when I get home because like, I have to go to work. Like what else am I supposed to do right now? Um, Then just continue living. And we walked out of the office and my crier either really, but all of a sudden I just like burst into tears and just like viscerally could not control it. And he's just standing there helplessly looking at me. And I was like, I'm not going back to work today, am I? And he said, no. Good for you. And so we drove home. We, of course, drove separately because we had met there. And I like sobbed the whole way home and oh. called my mom to tell her what happened. And she didn't even know that I was pregnant. And But she knew that I had like had some sort of doctor's appointment. And so she thought I had gotten some sort of like devastating illness news because I couldn't even get the words out. Mm-hmm. But 
the next few days were just a fog. You and we got home too, and um, you were just kind of trying to like status quo the day. You were like, I think I have to cut the grass, and like Cody cuts the grass while I'm sitting there on the patio, just like staring at the sky. We just felt like an absolute fog. It, it truly felt like that scene in Up when you know she's sitting and just staring out into the space, and he's standing with her, and you know that movie just hits way different now going through this, but they just <laughs> nailed it. Cause that's how it felt. You're just, you know, you just feel like this can't be happening. And, you know, uh, to fast forward, they, you know, we decided to take the, um, medication, the medication. a few days later. Yeah. Cause we were great. We, we were grieving so much emotionally and it, it wasn't starting or happening. And I was like, I just need like closure now. I just want to take the medication. Mm-hmm. So we, did that or I did that, which I can't decide if that was a great decision or not because I started having uterine contractions after like a few hours after so bad that we ended up in the ER that night just from pain. Oh no. Yes. Which was traumatizing all in itself. They thought that I had had like a ovarian torsion or something just from the pain that I was having. And luckily everything was fine, but It just took something that, you know, starts so natural and was just like a part of me and a part of us and boiled it down to just this really clinical moment and experience and Mm -hmm. something, you know, we were just experiencing the highest of highs for weeks and then the lowest of lows physically and mentally that I felt like I was just really not prepared for at all because I had no idea like what a miscarriage is like or how this goes. Mm-hmm. And it's just very under discussed. And as of course, like very sensitive and traumatic and people have their own comforts with how much they want to share. But I mean, I had no idea and I felt like, you know, a stranger in my own body. Was that grief for you different? It was. And I mean, it, it didn't hit me until like the day after we got that news and I remember you had gone to work and I walked down the stairs and all of a sudden it just hit me. And I just laid on the couch with our two dogs and just cried. Oh, just, and I remember thinking, Oh my God, like before going through this, you always would hear of a miscarriage, like an early miscarriage. And, you know, we'd say what everybody thinks like, Oh my God, at least it was early. Right. And I remember thinking barf, Holy crap. (laughs) This is, this hurts so freaking bad. Oh. And, you know, it's just that grief. And like, I'd, I've had family members pass away before, but this was just next level grief that I'd never felt. Yeah. Well, that's I when, think, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. That's when you're like, how in the hell does nobody talk about this? Right. <laughs> I think part of it too, it's like, it's the law. Lo- it's a loss, obviously, but it's the loss of like, a dream. It's the Absolutely. loss of what Absolutely. could have been. And that is such a deep grief. All of those you know? thoughts and feelings and ideas and dreams that we had spent weeks dreaming up, or, you know, we had even started to buy about, well, we bought a onesie because we thought we'd be telling our parents and use that as a prop. And mm-hmm. so all these things that, you know, you thought you'd be doing in nine months, it, it had dissipated just immediately. And working through that was really hard, but, and we were not always grieving the same, but we did together and it really kind of made us stronger through that for sure. first loss. And, um, we start, we trudged on after I got my period back, we were like, okay, well, you know, that was shit luck the first go around, but, mm, but it um, we, it worked and our doctor said the one thing that is only okay if a doctor says to you and not anybody else, but at least we, you know, know you can get pregnant. And I felt kind of rejuvenated by that. Like this is possible and it's just a chance every month. And we have the medications that clearly worked for us. And mm-hmm. it's just going to be a matter of getting it right one month. And so we continued on with medicated cycles um, through the end of last year, I guess. So that pregnancy was September, 2020. And we had three failed cycles in a row of just nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you kind of said, we settled back into that monotony of just every month trying and start your period, report your period, start Clomid, you know, go in for an ultrasound. They tell you to trigger, have sex at the right times, wait Mm -hmm. for two weeks bam, bleeding, rinse, repeat, start over. And we, I was kind of starting to feel like the first pregnancy was a fluke. Yep, mm-hmm. I did too. And it was also around that time after 
we had, you know, kind of moved through the loss that I've started to feel really empowered to share on social media. So like I had opened up on our personal social media about it and was just shocked at the amount of people that resonated and shared similar stories that I just, people I've known forever that I had no idea Mm -hmm. um, had gone through this too. And then you realize that this isn't such an isolated incident. Right. And so, yeah, we were kind of like, okay, maybe we just got extremely lucky slash unlucky the first time, but what, here we are again, like, why isn't this happening? Mm-hmm. And we got, I'm sorry, I was just going to say really quickly in terms of your relationship, were you guys finding yourselves like arguing at all or anything like that? Or like, I feel like sometimes this can either really bring you closer together. Or it can really drive a wedge in there at certain points. Yeah, I'd say it really, I mean, um, at least for me, it really brought us closer because Mm -hmm. the five years, you know, we've been together so long. And in the five five years we were married, like, I don't feel like we ever faced any real challenges. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything kind of was going well. Like we were traveling, we were going all kinds of places. and Which sounds ridiculous to say, but, and it's not like we're perfect, but in comparison to going through this, we were kind of like, we just never really had any bumps in the road or any sort of adversity to face together. And the very bittersweet privilege of going through something like this together is it was a pain that only we can feel the absolute most brunt of, you know, you have supportive family, supportive friends, and people that can peripherally feel for you, but we were the ones really feeling that hurt and grief and, you know, loss of so many things. And I would rather not feel that, but it was just, we felt privileged to be at this tough place together. And um, it continued to strengthen, you know, our relationship. And I think added a depth that we were not even aware of that maybe you uncover going through hard things. So what happened next? So did you guys just keep doing cycles or was there a point where you were like, the RE is like, let's take it to the next level? So we got the medicated cycle five and that felt like such a number because we were really, we felt like we had uh, given up so much of the blissfulness and a lot of the, you know, naturalness of this process and a lot of the not having to think about this that Mm -hmm. IVF never felt like our answer. I was like, eh, absolutely not, never, which we were not always in agreement on that because you were kind of more whatever it takes if we get to that point. Whereas I was like, we can do medicated cycles or we can just not have children. Yeah, which is super easy for me to say. <laughs> you know, I'm not the <laughs> right. one to go through the physical part of it. Um, but yeah, we, you know, got to January of this year, 2021, mm-hmm. and finally got another positive pregnancy test on that fifth cycle. Okay. We were like, they're going to make us move on if this isn't the one. And we were putting so much pressure on ourselves that like something different, something's going to have to change if this isn't the one, because five just felt like such a number. And like Cody said, we got a positive pregnancy test a few days before my 30th birthday. Okay. So how did that feel? We were much more reserved than we were the first time around. So that was different because I think, you know, you, after having a loss, don't view a pregnancy test as anything more than just lines on a piece of plastic until you have some kind of reassurance otherwise. Mm -hmm. But we were also like, holy crap, we're finally back here. And, you know, we had our loss and we went through this really tough valley together. And now like, here we are, we've got our redemption. And we both told each other when we got that positive test, we're going to savor every single day we have of us having a positive pregnancy test because Mm -hmm. the last time we had three great weeks and then it took us all this time to get back here and we're just going to savor every single day Mm -hmm. that we have no matter what happens which was just a different yeah that was a different headspace to be in too because with the first one and before infertility you're like not going to tell anyone until this amount of time because what if I have a loss and, you know, you don't tell people early because, you know, what if you're having to retract happy news? But with this one, after going through the loss and knowing that we needed the support, we, again, like Cody said, wanted to celebrate every day. And we ended up telling everyone almost immediately mm-hmm. because our thought was if we get two days of 
happy news or two days of celebrating this life, then we want people to be a part of that. And if we're in it for the long haul, then great too. Yeah, we need them support. So it was just a different mindset to be in because I just never, I never thought I would be as open as I am about these things this early on because people kind of tell you that you're not supposed to be. (laughs) Right. Totally. Even the the happy parts of our previous pregnancies, like I look back on those positively. So I'm like, even if we go through another loss, I'm not going to feel sad that I had these good moments and allowed myself to enjoy pregnancy for what it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, we we went on a trip for my birthday. So we just had the dreamiest weekend, you know, with this knowledge and right. took so like you 730, you said? Yes, I had just turned 30. Okay. We took like 700 pregnancy tests and all the digitals just so we could see it say pregnant. And we took a pregnancy test to the beach with us so we could take a picture with it and got home. And then the drama started again. Yeah, that, um, you know, we had that week was pretty uneventful. And then that Friday, so it was exactly a week since we had the positive test. I was watching TV and Sarah came in. From the bathroom and she just said i'm bleeding oh and man again it was just a you've got to be kidding me i cannot believe we got this shit luck again and you know i think i was really cavalier too because i walked in and was like well i think it's over <laughs> and you know you you get the word you, you start worrying and then you start googling is bleeding always a bad sign mm-hmm. and try to convince yourself that, well, maybe it's not. And, you know, you had called your doctor who mm-hmm. said it's not always terrible. You know, if it's not bright red and then it would go from bright red to brown to bright red to brown. And literally it was three weeks of just this on and off bleeding. And beta hell. They started bringing me in for more betas to see what was going on and we would have doubling and things looking great and normal and then it would drop a few points and then you'd come back and they'd be like oh it's back up and then we go back and it had dropped and just all this back and forth and the bleeding would come and go and I wasn't having any like pain or issues so we thought maybe we're just that one that one person that has random bleeding and then we pull this out at the end because there was no way to get through those few weeks with some overhanging sense that something was wrong. We had to be hopeful that, you know, it was not (laughs) um, that, or that we would somehow kind of pull things out with this pregnancy, Mm -hmm. Um, that pregnancy limbo. It's so hard mentally too. Yes. And then you're kind of like, okay, am I pregnant or am I not, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And you, before going through this, you think there's a very clear answer on that one way or the other. And unfortunately, there are times that you can be here and it's like, yeah, you're pregnant, but and it's looking like we're not, you're not going to make it, you know, any further than you are, which mm. it's just really weird and strange to grapple with. And, you know, about two to three weeks after the bleeding started and our doctor just kept saying, like, if it's not you know, a lot of bleeding, just wait for our ultrasound coming up and we'll see what's going on. And then Sarah called me while she was at work and said that her, from her Apple watch, her heart rate was just sky high, just Mm. regularly walking down the hallway. And, you know, she was like, I think I need to go to the ER. Something's not right. And I was just like, you know, maybe you're just, I don't know, you know, let's not think of the worst possible scenario. Things aren't as bad as they seem. Like, don't worry about it. Let's just see what happens. And thank God she told me to shut up and didn't listen to me <laughs> because she went to the ER. Um, Again, and it was it was just strange. And I was having like shortness of breath and my heart rate was all over the place. I, at first I thought, oh my God, I have COVID, really? And, mm-hmm. and I also like diminished my own instincts to myself for a while because I was like, Maybe you're being anxious. This is, you know, a pregnancy after loss. And maybe you were just conditioned to believe that this is not going to end well. And it's just anxiety and you need to calm down. And then I got to a point when I called him that I was like, no, something like I just know something is not right. And I feel really weird and I feel scared to drive home and I'm going to the ER. 
And so we ended up there. They actually thought I had a blood clot in my lung related to the pregnancy, just based on blood work. Oh my God. So I end up, and I was good up until that point because I was there by myself. It was kind of, that was January and the hospitals were still pretty, you know, conservative with visitors. So I'm just updating him via text message. And after they came in and were like, Hey, we just need to get a CT scan and make sure you don't have a blood clot in your lung with as high as your heart heart rates going up and um, your blood work just kind of looks a little concerning. And I was like, um, okay, can I have my husband come here? Because I can't do this. Yeah, 100%. Uh, So he came, luckily all that was fine. I didn't have a blood clot, but then um, glad luckily he was there for when the doctor came back in to tell us that our beta had dropped again, because they had drawn that um, with all the blood work that they drew as well. And the, the, uh, ironic thing was the doctor was shared that she was pregnant with an IVF baby from our doctor. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And this was just once again, one of those moments of us sitting in an emergency room being told by a doctor that it's just not looking good, you know, for our pregnancy or that our pregnancy has ended again. And we were just both kind of like, how are we back here again? And so they discharged me home because everything looked fine. But my doctor moved up my ultrasound because of all of that that had unfolded. And she was just like, let's just look around. There's too many strange things going on here. And we were still having the on and off bleeding. I went to that ultrasound alone because they had stopped allowing um, partners in ultrasounds. He was there for our first pregnancy ultrasound because they were only allowing for the first viability scan. And in the winter, they weren't allowing anyone. So he was sitting in the parking lot while I was in there for my ultrasound. And they're again in there probing and looking around and um, didn't see a uterine pregnancy. And it was determined I was having an ectopic, Mm. which Cody found out about via text message in the parking lot, which was just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. So what did you think when you saw that text, Cody? Oh God. I mean, leading up to that point, you just think maybe somehow all the like it's going to turn out okay. And I just had my head on the steering wheel, just praying harder than I've ever prayed. And then I saw my phone light up and I looked at it and it was just like super, you know, short sentences, like no uterine pregnancy, ectopic. And I'm just sitting there numb. And then all of a sudden the phone rings and Sarah's in the doctor's office again, and I'm on speaker and, you know, you just hear the pity in the doctor's voice and you're just like, oh my God. Like, why does this have to happen to us? Mm -hmm. Back-to-back losses. And like with an ectopic, I didn't really know what an ectopic was. And she starts explaining it. And nobody tells you too that you're going through this grief and then you've got to make a decision on how you want to treat it like as soon as possible, especially with her symptoms being as bad as they were. And it's like, okay, you can either go to the cancer center and take methotrexate and treat it that way, or we can remove the fallopian tube. Right. Oh my God. And they're like, and we need your answer in 30 seconds. Yes. Yes. And she was like, and you can go home and think about this. And I was like, okay. And then she said, and I'll call you in a few hours and you can let me know. And I was like, "Uh, oh, you mean like today? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, So we go home and they drew a beta level on me while I was there that hadn't resulted yet. And we're thinking this over and we both just kind of felt like, Surgery seems extreme, but at the same time, we have been through so much back and forth. I just like would like a really clear resolve. And they told us that if we take the medication, there's a chance that it doesn't resolve the pregnancy completely on its own. And we could end up having to take more medication or end up still having to have the surgery. And so I thought, well, let's just have the surgery and it will clearly take care of everything. And we won't be doing this back and forth. And then when she called me, she said that the beta that they drew had like tripled from the one in the ER. So it was all still erratic and it was going up super high still. And so she felt that we were making a good decision, just continuing to the surgery. So less than 24 hours after we found out we lost, we were losing the pregnancy, that it was an ectopic. I was heading to surgery to have that um, removed as mm-hmm. well as my left Philippian tube. Wow. That's a lot to process. It oh, for sure. really was. And it, and it was so different from the first loss because this was more of like a medical 
emergency, like, oh my gosh, we need to do this surgery because like, you know, we're talking about Sarah's health too. And, you know, thankfully the surgery went well, but you know, two weeks after that, it's like, okay, guys, now that we removed the fallopian tube, um, IBF's probably your only option. So right. you go from, please let us get pregnant this cycle. I cannot imagine doing IVF to, oh, you want a baby? IVF's your only option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Such a whirlwind. Absolutely. And so how did you guys process all these big swings? The, the egg topic was strange. And I don't know, other people probably feel like this too. If you've had multiple losses in that, I feel like each one feels differently. That first one was so whimsical. We were connected to that pregnancy so much. Like that just felt like so much more visceral grief because this was what it was. And because it was affecting my health, um, you know, I was like terrified <laughs> in my own body. And after the surgery, my doctor shared with us that I had started bleeding around the tube a little bit. So we kind of felt like we caught it just in time before I could possibly rupture. And you hear all these horror stories about how that goes. You know, I was sad for the pregnancy, the loss of the pregnancy and to be going here again. But I was also very glad that we were not, you know, that Fortunately, this was not worse than it could have been um, for my sake and the sake of the pregnancy. And yeah, this is really where I think we started to really be challenged. You know, the first loss was just so much sadness and grief. And this was a lot of hope, a lot of sadness, very high highs, very low lows. And this is when I feel like we both just we would take long walks together and just talk and just open up our soul to each other. And that's when truly it was like we just leaned in on each other because we were just feeling these feelings that we had never felt before in our lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And up until that point, you know, the first loss, many people have miscarriages and they go on to have perfectly healthy, healthy pregnancies. And there was just a hope there. Um, that was kind of taken away or at least challenged or changed after the ectopic. And we, you know, share a lot about our journey online and to ourselves. And we were always very much of the mindset of perhaps the future won't look the way that we thought it would. And if it doesn't, that will be okay. But I feel like I can, I could say that and maybe didn't fully believe that that could possibly be a reality until that, after that second loss. And until we just felt like this is getting really complicated. Totally. And like I mentioned before, for a while there, IVF to me just didn't feel like our answer. And our doctor was like, you know, well, you have choices here. We could move to IVF. You could continue doing medicated cycles. And I thought, well, I would like to mitigate the risk of another ectopic to as low as we possibly can, to, of another loss as low as we possibly can. Like medicated cycles didn't feel like the answer to me anymore. And I thought, you know, I'm dumping my ego out. I don't need this pregnancy to happen naturally anymore. I don't yeah. need, you know, sex doesn't need to be recreate or procreational. It can just be recreational and we can just make this baby making process completely separate in our mind from anything else because like trying this naturally just felt like a wild card and IVF seemed like it was going to give us more control over the situation, especially with the, you know, bumps in the road that we had. And with me only having one tube, I thought, well, my God, if I have a second ectopic and lose the other two, what's going to happen there? You know, you just start considering so many different things. And it just feels like you have to make decisions over your entire future family and what that looks like immediately. Right. And so much of it is just a crapshoot. And even the doctors yeah. can't give you definitive answers, which I think is one thing that's so hard about this whole process is exactly like, you know, you can take an educated kind of guess almost, but nobody knows for sure because everybody's so different. Yes. And um, it's so much of like a choice, you know, there's, there was no like clear cut. This is the, what we, right. we need to do. It yeah. was, what do you guys want to do? And right. I was like, I want to be pregnant. Like that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's exactly. all. I, I don't know. I don't care how it happens. I'm yes. Just, I know. I remember at one point in my journey thinking, I just want someone to tell me what to do because there's yes. so many options and I don't know and I don't want to make the wrong decision, but nobody would tell me, you know? Yes. All right. So let's talk about when you moved on to IVF. Yep. So we, um, you know, I felt like we were coming out of that fog after the ectopic and, 
you know, they laid out all the, you know, IVF protocol and it was like a three month process. First month is testing. So we start doing all the testing for me and for you. And we thought that was just kind of going to be the the boring month of like, okay, let's do all the stuff that we already did when we started seeing our doctor last July all over again and check all the boxes. And then we'll start right in with our um, IVF cycle. And another roadblock comes up because I get all my testing repeated um, because it had been so long since I had it last. And my AMH had dropped like a rock in the however many months between July of 2020 and March of 2021. And I was diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve, which Mm. was fun. Yeah. (laughs) They weren't really sure. That's another thing that, you know, you don't have a clear answer on. We weren't hundred percent sure why it was happening. And my doctor speculated that, you know, there's a possibility that that topic may have affected blood flow and those kind of things and changed some things here which also made me harbor probably more resentment towards that whole experience than just feeling like grief and loss. It complicated those feelings because I felt like it had taken so many things from us and Mm -hmm. put us behind the eight ball. And And, and that was another moment where we just had to immediately, it was like a complete 180 because you go from, oh, we're going to do IVF and we're going to get 25 eggs and we're going to have all these embryos frozen and we're going to test them and we're yep. going to find the good ones and we're going to mm-hmm. pop that sucker in there. And, and then <laughs> our doctor says, yeah, we're going to give you the highest dose of all the medicines. And, you know, you're probably not going to get many eggs. And you're just like, oh, wow. You know, third, third time around. And it's another crazy thing happening that's totally unrelated to everything else. It's just right. another another curveball, another curveball. <laughs> And so, but we, we processed that and that was hard for me because it made me feel like 10 years older than I am. And it also makes you feel like you're running out of time and they tell you, you know, quality matters at the end of the day. And so don't focus too much on quantity, but in a, in a game that is so focused on numbers, it is hard to not in turn be focused on the numbers. Totally. But we put our best foot forward, our put on some brave faces I was like recording videos through the whole experience for Instagram and for TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were having fun with it. And we were like, our expectations are healthy. We know we could possibly end up at the other side of this without many embryos, but we're going to give it our best shot. You started STEMS. It, you said it was like in April? It was early May. Early May. May. Okay. Yes. Early May. And that's a whole experience in itself, especially coming from medicated cycles, because I was just being such a drama queen and a big baby about my one off a drill shot. I would take a cycle and then here we are, you know, doing multiple injections a day. Right. And we like just embraced it. And, you know, and we did our first baseline ultrasound and there were 13 follicles and we were just overjoyed. We were like, oh my gosh, 13. And then go for our second scan and there's seven. And then we're like, okay, well, seven, it's better than nothing. Then we go for another scan and there was one follicle that was a good size and the rest of them were all under 10. And they they hadn't grown. And they hadn't grown at all. And they said, okay, go home for the weekend. We'll come back on Monday. And then, you know, the other ones will probably be grown. You know, they'll be ready and we'll do your retrieval. And so we went back that Monday and none of the other follicles had grown. We had one that was like 28 millimeters and another that was 12 and the rest were under 10. And they said, you know, our doctor had a call with us again, you know, hearing her (laughs) voice that said, it's just like you poor people. And she said, okay, you know, we can either try to do a retrieval for the one or we can cancel the cycle and do it all over again and change your medicine. And something just told us both like, screw it. We're going to go for the one and see what happens. We've already taken all this, all these shots. We've done all this. We felt like we worked so hard and didn't want to let the one fall to the wayside. And she was like, we could convert to an IUI, but I'm thinking I only have one tube. I mean, we're Mm -hmm. just paid this much and, you know, (laughs) uh, financially, physically, emotionally, just to let it go. And so we retrieved the one, not thinking very much about it and not thinking that it would pan out to be anything and um, got the call from the embryologist, you know, 
each day that it was dividing and growing normally. And we thought, well, this holy, first of all, how is this happening mm-hmm. with our one? How are we, you know, pulling this out? Because the num the numbers just don't support that just, you know, the one's gonna get us to that point. And it continued. And we thought, well, maybe it's a sign and maybe we need to give this one a chance. Yep. And you start to think, wow, is our luck finally turning around? Right. Like, totally. Totally. Came all these obstacles and all the, you know, the statistics, statistics were against us the whole time. And here we are with our one follicle and it's dividing normally and it's growing um, mm-hmm. to day three. And our doctor said, I recommend a fresh transfer. You only have one. Let's, Let's get it. Give it a shot. Let's give it a shot. And, you know, when we were in there waiting for the transfer, for the first time, you know, the doctor comes in with the picture of our embryo and it was the first time we had ever had that moment. Cause you know, with yeah. our first pregnancy, we didn't have that picture of the ultrasound that everybody has. Right. We never had any physical proof of, you know, our prior pregnancies. We never got that ultrasound picture or anything that was tangible to us. And mm-hmm. so that just felt so special seeing our embryo. Yeah. Um, is this the picture you guys have on Instagram? It yes. is the picture. Yes. That's our family photo on Instagram. <laughs> right. Um, I was like, I'm taking the picture. I'm going to put it up. I'm like, we're going to celebrate this no matter how it turns out. And it, it just, that day just felt so magical just because it was just happy and it was good. And the doctor was like, everything, this is a really good looking embryo. Everything's exactly how it should be. The embryologist told us our embryo looked adorable and we were just on cloud nine. They let us pick the music while we did the transfer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, it all just felt like things were turning around and we weren't putting like extra hope into things, but it's like, it just felt different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. It did. And I, you know, we both though, you know, that two week wait after that, I would just always say like, I just feel like this is a, I just feel at peace. I've never felt this much at peace before, you know, and I think you felt the same way. And it was just like, mm-hmm. wow, are we finally on the other end of this? And so I, of course, tested early. <laughs> you did. How early? Uh, I think it was six days after the transfer. Okay. Um, yeah. I I held out longer than I thought I would <laughs> because yeah. I was like, okay, I've done the taking pregnancy test experience here two times already. I don't, I don't need to be taking days and days of pregnancy tests and freaking myself out. So I waited until I knew it would probably be long enough that we would have some kind of answer either way. And it was positive. And I thought, no freaking way. There's no way that this is it. There is no way. Yeah. And I actually didn't tell him for a couple of days. What? Yeah. We found out about the two previous ones together because it's probably quite obvious we're um, annoyingly a team. And so uh, he was just a part of that um, each time. And with this one, I thought, okay, well, maybe I just won't say anything until I like know for sure that this is it and lines are darkening. And I want that experience of telling my husband that other people get that I haven't. And we've, you know, lost so many nuances of this experience that that's what I want for this one. This one's going to be different. And that's how I'm going to make it different. Like that was how I was rationalizing it in my mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I got darkening all my lines the next few days. And so then I told him over the weekend and we just had a lovely weekend. Um, you know, felt, felt it, things felt a little bit lighter. You feel a little quicker on your feet. We weren't, you know, certain that this was it, but we were going into our betas like we've got a positive pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And then through the weekend, the lines weren't darkening. And we thought, mm, that's not very good because even with the past two, we were having way, way, way darker lines. And those didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. But then we start playing mind games of, well, neither of those turned out well. Maybe this is just a slow grower. Maybe we'll be one, you know. And I'm sure people can relate to where whenever you have to break out the phone flashlight to look at the pregnancy (laughs) test, like it's never a good thing. (laughs) And it's like, I think it's darker. And, you know, you're taking pictures and you're going back and forth and it just it continued to get lighter all week. And then, yeah. And you're like, are my, are my eyes playing tricks on me? Like maybe I need to go get like a new prescription for my contacts. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, 
taking, I'm like, maybe these other ones are dry. And that's why the lines look so much darker from a few days ago. Like I'm going to start taking videos every day at the exact time and look at the test oh, and God. compare them. I feel you. You can get so obsessed and it makes so much sense after everything you've been through. Exactly. And so we went into our beta then and after all of that, a bit more reserved like, mm, this is probably not maybe, you know, this isn't going to end up in our favor. And um, unfortunately, my first beta was super low mm. at 13. Yep. Yeah, quite low at 13. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, call you with the, well, the good news is you're pregnant, but yeah. <laughs> um, this is really quite low. We like to see this higher. So we'll come in for a second beta. And at that point, I'm thinking, why bother? It's clearly, totally. you know, another loss. And um, we all know how this is going to end up, you know, and I don't want to come in for more blood, but I did. And um, it had decreased to six. So they uh, told so us that this one was ending in a um, chemical pregnancy, which yeah. I despise that word, but I know me too, because it, it just takes the, you know, humanity. The, out yes. And uh, makes it seem like it's not something to grieve over. It shouldn't feel like a loss and it, and it did. Yeah. Um, agreed. I've said so many times, you guys probably know if you've heard a loss is a loss. It doesn't matter if it's a missed miscarriage or a chemical pregnancy, a blighted ovum, a loss of an embryo thawing, you know, like these are all legitimate losses. Exactly. And they, they all feel different, but they also feel kind of the same. Too. And with us, you know, this being our third loss, um, which this was, you know, a few weeks ago, like we've experienced a miss miscarriage. We've mm -hmm. experienced a, uh, an ectopic and now we've experienced a chemical and like each of those hurt like hell. Like there's no, Oh, well, at least it was a chemical or at least it was an, like, there's no, at least. Yeah. Yeah, they're so, you know, it's just so brutal. And I don't think you can fully grasp how it feels unless you've been through it yourself. Totally. I know exactly what you mean. So this is recent, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, our transfer was May 29th. And yeah. so then it was a couple of weeks after that, that we had kind of figured all of that out. And it's almost like at this point, maybe people with multiple losses feel this way too, but that you almost feel like a a master of uh, working through grief, you know, um, mm -hmm. like that feelings that were very foreign and unknown and raw with my first loss are now greeting us like old friends this time around and that you've felt this way before and you've been here and you're like, okay, I know what's about to be up ahead and I've got to move through it. And that's kind of how we felt with our topic. And then with this one, you feel that way, but then three and especially a loss after IVF, there was just a grieving of so many other things. Uh, you know, you're doing the most intensive fertility treatment that there is, and it doesn't work. And right. that feels so hard. And the, you know, the middle ground that is a chemical pregnancy was hard because we thought, you know, I was like, I would have just rather have gotten a negative. But would I? I, I don't know. Um, right, exactly. <laughs> that would have been probably just as devastating. But you just feel that, you know, if it would have been this way, it would have been different. But after going through several losses in different ways, I realized that they're all kind of similar and the same in some ways, too. But this one, I think, really also kind of opened up like the mental health aspect of things for us too. And, and with each adding loss and with each twist and turn in this journey, and as things get more complicated, you just like realize the heaviness of this that can exist and that that's really, really normal. And I think for us as a couple, we've learned that we're not going to be on the same grieving plane every day. There's days when I am just really feeling it and Sarah may be having a good day or vice versa. And mm -hmm. we've learned to really just give each other that space and validate those feelings and understand that, you know, when she's feeling really sad, I may be having a good day. And right. in those times you may need to, I may need to give her space for that. It's, it's just really understanding that although we're going through it together, we're not always going to be in that same you know, space in our mind that day or emotionally, you know, especially for me as a guy dealing with the emotional aspect and not the physical aspect. Yeah. There's dealing with both, you know, it's just, I feel like we've learned to give each other a lot of 
grace throughout this whole process. Yeah. And I can tell just talking to you guys, you're, there's so much love and like looking at all your photos again, like you're just, you're such an amazing couple. And like you said, like kind of pulling each other through this at various times, you know, one person's the strong person at this point and one person's the strong, but I love what you guys have. And I feel so hopeful for you guys. So I know you recently did a post where you were like, IVF round two coming in hot. <laughs> yes, we. So that's what's happening next. Move forward with another round. We're going to do a completely different protocol. And I'm like, I'm just going to continue to hold space for this. This is such a, you know, I feel like we're just at the point of like the in, be- in between. And after several, you know, losses, it's, you just feel like you're kind of stuck here. And maybe if, um, you know, you're not at the point of the happy ending yet, and you're just trying to figure out the next steps, that's okay. And that's kind of where we're at. And we're licking, licking our wounds and remaining hopeful and continuing on. Okay, friends, thank you so much for listening. And Sarah and Cody, you guys are awesome. And I can't wait to see what happens. And I'll continue to follow your story, both on TikTok and on Instagram. Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, thanks to everybody who's written reviews lately. That really helps us get noticed. So if you have a moment and you want to go pop over and give a five-star review and just a short little description of why you like the podcast that is huge in terms of apple and where we get placed and where people can find us so really appreciate it if you took two seconds to do that i also want to let you know it's the first week of the month if you're listening to this in real time and fertility rally is open our membership is open so if case you don't know this is the place that blair nelson and i co-created because we wanted to create a safe space for people to come and go through their family building journeys, go through infertility or however they're building their families through ART, be it single mothers by choice or same sex couples. Everybody is welcome in our community and we are here to support you. That is the bottom line. We want to make this more supportive for you and make you feel more empowered and to lift you up no matter where you are at. We call it the Rally Fam, and that is not bullshit. We really, truly love our members so much, and we have so much going on. We've got support groups. We've got tons of content. Our website is bursting with videos and blogs and articles and all this stuff. We're also on Instagram. We're always doing events. So much going on. So if you are struggling or you know somebody who is, definitely check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally. Or you can email us at thefertilityrally at gmail if you have any questions. We would love, love, love to meet you and support you and help you along because no one should be going through this shit alone, right? All right. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks.